This is page 409, chapter 43, Resurrection of Sri Yukteswar. What's helpful for us to also keep tuning into because, uh, of course, a lot of this, these beautiful descriptions are, as I said, a little well beyond... I don't know when when they will come in handy. <laughs> like, oh yeah, thank God I knew about the causal world because now I'm about to step into it. But uh, what's helpful for us to realize is that we're always living in all three worlds at all times. It's not that we have to die to enter the astral world and then you know leave our astral body to enter the causal world. We're we have access to all three worlds at all times. We're we are functioning from all three worlds at all time. With the physical, when the, we are working with our physical body, we're functioning at the physical level. When we work with our energy, when we work with will, we are automatically working with and within the astral realm. And when we work with thought, we're working on the causal realm. The only difference here is that when one of the encasings of grossness disappear, which is at death, it just becomes that much easier and that much more freeing to, to derive the full potential. So right now, we're not able to fully bring astral realities into this world because the physical one clouds too much of our ability to even perceive that truth. It's just too hard for us to break away from what just seems so real. So therefore, astral realities become secondary. We're still doing them every time we concentrate, every time we put out will, every time we work vibrationally, every time we're trying to uplift something. That's all just astral. That's purely an astral expression. But then we kind of feel somehow still hemmed in by the body, by the limitations, oh, this is this table can only move from here to here. But in an astral world, that would be a very different reality. Similarly, the causal world, we have access to all three. We are, in fact, always functioning from all three. It's just a question really of here of the potential, whether we're able to fully express them, or in this particular case, are we limited in the way that we express them? And so it helps us as we read these, it's helping us just understand what would it look like to fully live by a causal awareness? What would it be like if I fully lived with an astral awareness? And of course, I think we're all quite familiar with the physical awareness, so we don't need to worry too much about that. On page 409, we ended more or less with this kind of um, <laughs> a little bit of a warning of sorts, but this was about desires, where Sri Yukteswarji says, the adhesive force by which all three bodies are held together is desire. The power of unfulfilled desires is the root of all man's slavery. That's what draws us back again and again, even, you know, against our own particular wishes. It's not like I'm consciously saying, I want to go back down on earth and I want to have a physical experience. No, but while I'm here, I start thinking, this is so nice, and that is so nice, and wouldn't it be lovely, and only if, and, and then those flows of energy, which are again astral. That's why we are drawn back, because we, those thoughts, those vibrations, those vrittis as we call them, they remain with us in the astral world. And when they get energized in the astral world, then kind of you can almost say the astral body itself begins to weave a physical reality around itself and takes that physical birth. But so then he explains the three kinds of desires that exist. He says, physical desires are rooted in egotism and sense pleasures. The compulsion or temptation of sensory experience is more powerful than the desire force connected with astral attachments or causal perceptions. So now that's, that's the first thing for us to tune into. How driven are we by sense perception, by how, how, how much of our satisfaction do we draw through the senses, through food, through what we see, through what we hear, Smell. through smells, more importantly in this particular case, through touch, through pleasure. What gives us pleasure? What's our definition of pleasure? Even in Patanjali, Swamiji defined, remember the gunas. And he says, this, the gunas, another way to look at the gunas is the way in which we seek happiness. 
if we seek happiness in the sattvic way, then we are expressing sattva guna. If we seek happiness in restlessness, in activity, in outwardness, that's the rajasic. If we seek happiness in low energy, in dullness, in less, you know, I don't want to put out effort. Or I'll only do this if, you know, I'm, there's fear of being punished if I don't do this. Then that's the tamas. If that's how we're seeking our happiness. And similarly, we can look at how do we seek pleasure. And that tells us whether we are more physically defined, more astrally defined, or more causally defined. Astral desires, that's now helpful for us to see. Physical desires, we know. It, it depends entirely on the senses and it depends on the egotism, which is that I feel fulfilled. I'm feeling very satisfied. The more we feel we need to feed that pleasure for ourselves, the more we are hemmed in by the physical world. Astral desires center around enjoyment in terms of vibration. Now that's different, isn't it? Very different from how we see pleasure. Astral beings enjoy the ethereal music of the spheres and are entranced by the sight of all creation as exhaustless expressions of changing light. Light and vibration. That's how they see. Now, how does that translate into our realities, light and vibration? Colors is a beautiful way. When you, when you are fed by color, when you're fed by beauty, and it's not a beauty that you seek to possess. That would be egotism. Uh, what's beautiful? The sunrise is a beautiful thing. Does your first thought of the sunrise say, I want to have that sunrise? No. But you see a beautiful shirt and your first thought is, I need to possess that shirt. The beauty of the shirt is dependent on me having it. That's an egoic sense pleasure. But when I see sunrise, when I, see when I hear beautiful music, and I don't have the initial thought that I should have this. I need this and I need to be listening to it over and over again. And I need to just keep having it with me. That is the binding desire of the physical world. What else do you think light and vibration, Harani, would be? Well, as you were saying, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we can perceive that above all in nature. Hmm. I, I think if we hear the wind, and if we see the flowers, if we are in nature, if, if we are bathed by and experience uh, the power of light and color through nature, I don't know if you have noticed, but some of the most delicate, like very thin flowers have the most extraordinary colors colors that can't be replicated. And just by seeing that it's so, uh, not exciting, but it's just so energizing. Energized. It's suddenly your energy lifts up ourselves. And I think that's the power of light and color. It just lifts your energy up to the higher chakras. It brings you to experience life from a much more subtle way. And I think if we start um, acknowledging is not the word, but paying more attention to, to nature, to the little things that God has created, he's constantly reminded us through his creation. This comes from the astral world. I mean, this, this cannot be replicated by any human being, nor by any machine. And, and I think the more we start every day, finding those moments where, where a ray of light creates a, a, an amazing shade, an amazing shape, an amazing um, expression and manifestation of that astral world, I think we will become more and more familiar with it. And this doesn't mean that you need to get distracted with any you know, passing little grass, but, but the awareness that, wow, this is a replica of the astral world. And I have never seen those colors anywhere. I think to create a much more dynamic connection through nature, because that's where I think um, light, color, and, and sound of the spheres. I mean, I, I think you can hear the trees. Mm. 
I think we can, of course, communicate with plants, but to hear the particular vibration that the plant emanates, that the leaf um, expresses. And, and I think that that could be another thing that we could practice a little bit more or become more aware of, just like don't disregard nature, don't disregard the colors that are offered to us to just to create that connection with the astral world. Also, they say it says here that astral desires center around enjoyment in terms of vibration. We talk about vibration so often, don't we? Our environment, the vibration <clears throat> when people come into the ashram or come into any uplifted space or the opposite is also true. You go to a place which is where the vibration is really heavy and you experience the place first in terms of vibration. Normally, what would you say? I go to a temple. I tune in. I'm going. My relationship to the temple is centered around the idol, is centered around the rituals, is centered around the fact that the priest is going to hand me some prasad. And most people's relationship to a temple is on that basis. If your relationship, on the other hand, is when you enter into a space and you feel the vibration of the space and it uplifts you and it's irrespective of the fact that there is an idol there and it's irrespective of the fact that you're going to end up doing some pujas there but you taste first the vibration similarly when you go to a place that is not very uplifting and you enter into that space and you immediately have a relationship with the vibration that tells you that there is a strong astral connection, that you have an astral awareness more so than a physical awareness. And that vibration, then you don't say, you enter a bar, for example, and especially if you are not one who's, uh, uh, you know, somebody comfortable around alcohol or drinks themselves. When you enter there and you've got all these people drinking, all their awareness is really, really dull, They've completely lost discrimination. It's loud. Usually in these places, music is playing at, you know, some very heavy beat. And darker. Yeah, and the room is usually dark. Very it's like dark. you don't want to, yeah. nobody wants to connect with anybody, really. They just want to be in this somewhat dull state, which Sriyateshwar later on describes as one of the astral, uh, you can say, levels that the majority of us go and spend time in, is a state of dullness. But when you enter there and you're not like, oh, it's the music or it's the alcohol or it's the people. No, it's, it's the vibration. You recognize the vibration and then you want to step away from that vibration as much as you want to step away from the physical reality. Then you know, it's like, wow, I'm starting to, even before I step in, I already feel waves of astral energy coming from this place. And that's how Swamiji described it. He said, you will see everything when you bring that awareness as spectrums of light. And before you even enter, you, the light will already tell you whether this is a place that is resonant with where you're trying to be. So those are where the astral kind of desires are lodged. At our desire, and we said this way before, to be in a certain vibration. And when we start doing that, and that's why we spend time in the different astral worlds, is based on that vibration that we have familiarized ourselves most with. Then we come to the causal desires. Now, this is where it gets really <laughs> tricky and confusing and hard for us to even tune into. But here, Sri Yukteswarji says, causal desires are fulfilled by perception only. <laughs> I mean, how would that even be? Eve, just by having the thought, the desire is already fulfilled. Just by saying, I think I want a glass of water. Done. I don't need to put the energy out for a glass of water. I don't actually need even the glass of water. Just by having a thought and having the perception of that thought, that desire is over. Or, but in our cases, that desire is being created. And some of those desires cannot be fulfilled. How many thoughts do we have that we're unable to fulfill on the physical world? A lot of thoughts. Many of those thoughts will be unable to fulfill on the astral world as well. And those will remain with us that can only be fulfilled in the causal world. And so you can see that's a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Yes, there are many of our thoughts that we could in fact 
fulfill here and we do fulfill here and we are required to fulfill here. The nearly free beings who are encased only in the causal body see the whole universe as realizations of the dream ideas of God. They can materialize anything and everything in sheer thought. Now, it's not like they're actually physically materializing anything. That would be a, I mean, we can do that. I can physically, I put a, have a thought, I put out a lot of energy and I eventually am able to physically, it's not like uh, our understanding of the causal world would be, I want water, pong, a glass of water will come into my hand. No, they don't need, there is no physical outward manifestation. I want a glass of water, I'm already, my thirst is already quenched. It's over. There is no actual, there's no reason to move through the steps of astral and physical uh, expressions. It's pure thought. It's like a dream, isn't it? In fact, the causal world is probably best described in that thought. Are you actually drinking water in a dream? No. Can you quench your thirst in a dream? Yes. <laughs> if in the dream you're thirsty and you drink a glass of water in the dream, you quench your thirst. But you're not actually drinking anything. If in the dream you want to meet your best friend and feel joy in meeting your best friend, you can meet your best friend in a dream and feel great joy. But you're not meeting anyone. So the dream thought is pure perception. We're just perceiving. And that's in fact how the scriptures describe the entire universe. It's just a thought perception in the mind of the infinite. And the causal beings are the closest to that thought perception and in fact add to that thought perception. You can almost think the causal beings themselves are God's thoughts. And they are the ones creating the multitude of thoughts. Remember, Sri Yukteswa was talking about the organization, mm -hmm. the bow, you know, oh, they're right. like, there's this whole organizational level where the higher astral beings are doing this to keep the, the, you know, the universe going and the causal beings are doing that. I'm just wondering what kind of <laughs> desires could be at the, at the causal level? You know, the desire of what? Or of Nirvikalpa Samadhi? desire of you know because at that stage it's just really hard eh? it's just like how can i mean what kind of desire you could have that can be the most elevated and uplifted because at that point of course you'd i think maybe i don't know you don't want to fulfill any personal desire because there is hardly any ego there or because, no I mean, ego at all. I mean, what, what, what could you desire? Like, Yukteswar said that... Like freedom from every, for every soul? I mean, it's just like... Because Nirvikalpa Samadhi is already the prerequisite for Hiranyaloka. Mm -hmm. So it's not even like, where, where, how much higher do you go from there? Yeah, so it's just like the desire must be so refine like desire for what for unity you know like 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 something that is even hard to comprehend i mean even our highest desire for you know world peace, world peace <laughs> and all that it's like nothing with the desire that a causal being could have i mean because at that level i don't think there is any disharmony of any kind. I mean, it, it's just hard to think, but, but I was just feeling like, wow, mm, that's the direction where we, each one of us are heading, that the desires become more and more about others, about supporting God's creation. And it just has nothing to do less and less with, with us and more and more with other people and bringing that to a much more practical way i mean we should start making of those earthly desires our primary motivation every day am i helping people am i concentrating enough of developing desires that include other people, that uplift other people. And, and just by wanting or be willing, I think that's a way to step in into the causal world because 
for five minutes, we are forgetting about fulfilling a personal desire. And we are more, I mean, concentrating ourselves to support somebody else, to inspire somebody else. And, and I think that could be a, a nice thing for us to experience yeah. the causal consciousness. But, but the thought of someone living in the causal world and still having a desire, what that desire might be, I don't know. Can you say there is no action? There is no need for there is action. No need. There is no need, yeah. I mean, over here he says, those who find themselves covered only in the delicate veil of the causal body can bring universes into manifestation, even as the creator. Maybe so, the desire what, for beauty as well at a higher level, because all of, I don't know, like... <clears throat> It was an interesting thing that Sri Yukteswarji says here, which is, again, it's just hard for us to tune into because you can't really, we can't assume or presume on the yeah, consciousness yeah. Of, of a causal being. But he says here, causal beings work out their desires by materializing them instantly. And I think about us. And this one word that especially defines the, you know, life today is instant gratification. Don't we all look for, you know, it's like the process of like thought, then lots of energy, then uskukkaro, oh, I want to make this happen. And the process that it takes, we love instant gratification. Hence, you know, social media is doing so well is <laughs> because it just gives us instant, you know, little doses of adrenaline and dopamine and excitement. Uh, but that's a, it's an interesting thought, isn't it? That's quite ingrained in us. We, we want, we want it like that. And so maybe in the causal world we get to, it's not so much that we get to fulfill particular desires, but we get to feel, fulfill that idea. Maybe. Yeah, that, that instinct, instinct that says, yeah. I should have it right now. Anything I, I, I need, I should have it. So it's not like I want water, I want this, yeah. I want a cigarette, I want a, It's not about the external anymore, it, but it's about that ingrained desire that says it should be instant. And maybe that takes a while for us to flush it out of because that means even in the astral world, it's not instant. That means in the astral world, you're still, oh, I want this tree to grow pineapples instead of mangoes. But, you know, the tree still has to grow a little bit. There has to be a pineapple that has to come. You still have to pluck it. You still have to eat it. So there's still a whole activity involved. Whereas perhaps in the causal world, it's just like, I mean, I don't know how time would work in those situations. Yeah, actually, I was thinking about timing too. It's like, there is no <laughs> concept even of time. By then, I think it's all in the eternal now. So the fact that you feel you are uh, anyway, yeah. I don't the, think we the, can put words we, to no, it. No, 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 no. <laughs> we cannot yeah, even. Definitely We not. can't get close. But yeah. let's assume that from everything we've read, that these guys we're are going to be. Us we're going to eventually get there and figure it out. A soul being invisible by nature can be distinguished only by the presence of its body or bodies. The mere presence of a body signifies that its existence is made possible by unfulfilled desires. So we're back to that one concept again. Unfulfilled desires require us, or you can say, almost you can say, create around us the body that we're holding. And that would be an in, another interesting thought to kind of look at our bodies, even our physical encasements, and just look at it and say, wow, this is all a product of unfulfilled desires. You know, what unfulfilled desire has designed, has designed this even particular expression? What would, does this particular body allow me to do it, whether as a male or as a female, or whether as tall or whether as short, or whatever it is, even the body woven, is only by the very vibration of that unfulfilled desire. So long as the soul of man is encased in one, two, or three body containers, sealed tightly with the cocks of ignorance and desires, he cannot merge with the sea of spirit. 
when the gross physical receptacle is destroyed by the hammer of death, the other two coverings, astral and causal, still remain to prevent the soul from consciously joining the omnipresent life. When desirelessness is attained through wisdom, its power disintegrates the two remaining vessels. The tiny human, so human soul emerges free at last. It is one with the measureless amplitude. Nothing much to say on that. Yeah. I think we're all pretty, <laughs> we all understand this concept as well as we possibly can. The causal world is indescribably subtle. He says it right here, indescribably subtle. We couldn't even proper, you know, even if we try, and we are trying, as you can see, we're, we're trying to find the right words and failing miserably. And it's just too subtle for uh, human communication, at least on the level that we're familiar with. In order to understand it, one would have to possess such tremendous powers of concentration that he could close his eyes and visualize the astral cosmos and the physical cosmos in all their vastness as the luminous balloon with the solid basket as existing in ideas only. Should we read that again? The causal world is indescribably subtle. In order to understand it, one would have to possess such tremendous powers of concentration that he could close his eyes and visualize the astral cosmos and the physical cosmos as existing in ideas only. The fact that none of us really could figure the, this out easily <laughs> just suggests to us that we're not there yet. But there's a key word here which I find helpful and that is concentration. tremendous concentration tremendous concentration that's something we could acquire tremendous concentration and to do what to be able to perceive both the astral and the physical worlds as thoughts i mean that's the kind of concentration we need when we talk about meditation we bring concentration in as one of the key elements but none of us think about it in this world. Tremendous concentration. In your meditation, you have to have tremendous concentration so that you can perceive the astral and the physical universes, the entire cosmos, as just a thought idea. I was thinking that Yogananda gave this technique, the Hong Sok technique, and he called it the super concentration technique, isn't it? Like the highest technique for concentration. I was just wondering if, if from all the techniques that we have, that's a specific technique that, that works more at a, at a causal level, where we get to connect more with tapping into the consciousness that can be experienced at the causal level when we enter into that pause of breathlessness, you know, which I don't know if that's what's happening in the council world, but mm -hmm. but it would be fun to explore and to approach to our Hongso technique as a as a vehicle, as a way to tap in and out from the causal uh, plane and, and the consciousness that one can achieve because it's all about concentration, keeping your mind so sharp, so in the present, so alive, so expanded that that would be fun perhaps to tune into tune into that through the Hongso technique. Hongso first through the breath, then in the spine, only when all of that <laughs> subsides yes. completely, then you're in the causal world. If by this superhuman concentration one succeeded in converting or resolving the two cosmoses with all their complexities into sheer ideas, he would then reach the causal world and stand on the borderline of fusion between mind and matter. There one perceives all created things, solids, liquids, gases, 
electricity, energy, all beings, gods, men, animals, plants, bacteria as forms of consciousness. Just as a man can close his eyes and realize that he exists even though his body is invisible to his physical eyes and is present only as an idea. That's another very kind of a simple way to tune into that, isn't it? If I close my eyes, I still know that the world exists. I still know that my body exists. Where does that awareness come from? One hand we'll say it comes from the fact that when I open my eyes it's around and I'm really connected to it, but there are people who are born without the power of sight. They do understand and relate to their body and to the world, but it's probably from a much more intuitive perception because they're not getting to see it the way we are. They're not getting to experience the world the way we are. And so the way that they'll have to assume what the world is doing is by creating inner images of the world. Their relationship, and this is an interesting to, thing to contemplate, say my sense of sight is taken away from me, I'll have to build the world as a visual image in my mind to still relate to it. An inner sight will have to be developed in the process. And that could be another interesting way for us to tune into in our meditations if you went to go into this hongso silence and that stillness and in the breathlessness and behind closed eyes, see if you can still kind of fully tune into the existence of these worlds and then as just pure idea, no longer as material manifestations. And then coming back where, where Sri Yudeshwar is talking about light and sight and vibration. I mean, most of the communication happening at the causal level is through light. I mean, you are being guided, you are being, uh, you receive information through light. I mean, light is the language of communication. And, and I was thinking about when, when we in meditation see the light or try to visualize the light, um, let's also open ourselves to the fact that there is a communication happening. And, and I was just right now thinking like, wow, that must be so fascinating that light in itself is a language mm. at a much more higher level of consciousness. And that would be another way to explore and create a deeper connection with light itself. And not just in meditation, but also in general, what light is trying to share with us and communicate. I'm going to move on because there's a lot of repetition to a certain degree of things that we've spoken of. Souls in the causal world recognize one another as individualized points of joyous spirit. Their thought things are the only objects which surround them. Again, I, I, I don't even know where to place any of this. Where are they? How do things surround them? Is there even such conception as time and space? But what's sweet here is souls in the causal world recognize one another as individualized points of joyous spirit. We can recognize one another too here, can't we? We can see each other as points of joyous spirit if we so choose to. Of course, first we'd have to recognize our own self, and that's why meditation is so key. Oh wow, I'm a point of joyous spirit. I'm made of this light. I'm made of bliss. If I'm made of bliss, there's a good chance that that guy's made of bliss too. And that guy. And everything in this universe perhaps is made of bliss. And that's what we're trying to say. It's not so much we're trying to understand the causal universe and that, oh, one day we'll be there and we'll be better prepared for it. No, that's not what this book it's not, a, it's not a study in the causal universes. It's also help, helping us to understand what that state of consciousness is. And if at that state, everybody, every soul is just seeing everything else as just a manifestation of pure spirit, 
That's something we're already attempting to do here. And that's, you know, that's powerful because then we don't have to go and see this in the causal world. We could, if we so chose, extinguish all desires here and now if we're already open to seeing that one ocean of spirit in each individual as just that tiny point of joyous spirit. Causal beings see the difference between their bodies and thoughts. Again, how does that happen? To be merely ideas. They have thoughts, they have bodies. What kind of bodies they have, I, I couldn't tell you. But everything's just pure ideational. And that's from where everything in this universe springs. Really, the causal beings are, you can say, to a certain degree, our thoughts perhaps are causal beings. Our causal beings were drawing on. Master said all thoughts are universal and not individualized, which means we're all tuning into an ocean of thought, which is what the causal world is. And we're tuning into those oceans of thought depending on the level of our consciousness. Therefore, when you're in a mood, when you're upset, when you're disappointed, when you're unhappy, the thoughts that you will receive reinforce that level of awareness. They reinforce the fact that the world is unfair. They reinforce the fact that people are against you. They reinforce the fact that it's somebody else's fault. But when you are joyful, when you're uplifted, when you're happy, then those kind of thoughts don't even enter into your mind because then you draw, you're tuning into which vibration of the causal world that we're feeling and we're drawing those thoughts. And I wonder if the causal beings are somehow the ones weaving those thoughts in our minds. And I mean, where do they exist? I couldn't even tell you, except perhaps in the infinite consciousness, which we are a part of. The infinite consciousness isn't something elsewhere that we're trying to achieve. We are that infinite consciousness individualized. The whole in a tinier form. That there's a 1,000 ml bottle and there's a 500 ml bottle. <laughs> we're the 500 ml bottle. Maybe we're the 0. 0.0000 ml bottle, but it's the same water. And it doesn't matter how large that container is, we're still the same essence. Which means we are their causal beings in our own consciousness. They're astral beings in our own consciousness. Master said when he was going through a disease, he said, I can see astral demons, astral entities eating at my bones. Again, these are things that you, you don't know what to, where to pick these things up from, but they're seeing a world that's just so wholly different. But what they're seeing is a very, is a living, breathing, conscious universe of all levels. Everything is a manifestation of consciousness made individualized into an expression just as we are. So disease is a manifestation of consciousness individualized as a living reality. We think of disease as, you know, some little imbalance or disharmony or something wrong in my body. But what's creating that imbalance? What kind of consciousness is weaving that disharmony inside us? And that's a living reality as well. There is nothing in this universe that isn't consciously aware isn't to a certain degree alive because it is consciously aware. So again, wouldn't it be fun to think of our thoughts? Because that's how even the masters say, we're a host, we're a nation, we're a country. And every thought, every quality, every perception is a mental citizen inside us. But the truth is, maybe they in fact are <laughs> actual beings inspiring every aspect of our you know, of our expression. And then we should be like, which beings should I be being, making friends with? Which beings should I be spending more time with? Which beings should I let walk through me, come through me, express through me? And then the responsibility of, wow, then I have to hold my consciousness really high at all times. Many beings remain for thousands of years in the causal cosmos. By deeper ecstasies, the freed soul then withdraws itself from the little causal body and puts on the vastness of the causal cosmos. 
thousands of years, I guess, in our terms. Then it says, by deeper ecstasies. They're already in ecstasy. They're already completely, like, <laughs> blissfully swimming in God knows what. And then there's deeper states, deeper and deeper states. And that's where it gets so subtle for us. Because we, for us, happiness is just this one version of life. Oh, I'm happy when? We don't know deeper states. We've not even scratched the surface of, of joy. And then deeper states of ecstasy, I don't even know how, where we'd go with that. In the paragraph before, this, he talks about, <clears throat> they see their bright thought bodies zoom past trillions of spirit-created planets, fresh bubbles of universes. Wisdom stars, spectral dreams of golden nebula, all over, all over the sky blue, sky blue bosom of infinity. So in a causal world, we're talking about trillions of spirit-created planets. All these beings are just going and saying, boom, boom. Everybody is just going and manifesting every possible thought that they have. Imagine if in this world we could manifest every thought we had how vast this universe would instantly become. There won't be any space to fill every thought we had. I mean, this room will fill up three of my thoughts. Now imagine the amount of space, if there is even such a thing in the causal world, required for every causal being to be able to materialize every thought they have. And it reflects to me a little bit that ever new joy that Master always spoke about, ever new. There's still this desire for variety. There's still this, what's more, what's new, what's you, what's you. And they just want to keep exploring until even that exploration gets exhausted and it becomes more about the inner ecstasies that they're experiencing. And then they want to go deeper into those ecstasies and no longer into the thought manifestations that they have thus far enjoyed. And that's the final layer of separation from instant thought gratification. Even that won't do it. Even that has limitations. Even creating a universe will not give you what you're looking for. No longer does the soul have to experience its joy as, in, as an individualized wave of consciousness, but is merged in the one cosmic ocean with all its waves as eternal laughter and thrills and throbs. So that final stage of how the causal being merges into the ocean of spirit, I don't think you and I will be able to figure out. But that that deep desire exists in us to merge into the ocean of spirit. That's what we need to focus on. That's, that's really all that matters to us. But if we can focus entirely on that and not get caught up in the every other thought desire that exists because it does exist and we do want that manifest manifestation of our thoughts. We very much want it. But if we can focus on the ocean of spirit instead, little by little, we, you know, we won't have to spend thousands of years in the causal worlds as well. Because even though it sounds amazing, it's still limited. It's still that separation from what we're truly wanting to experience. Infinite bliss. Infinite bliss. When a soul is out of the cocoon of the three bodies, it escapes forever from the law of relativity and becomes the ineffable ever-existent. Even in the causal world, there's relativity. There's still duality there as well. So we're not escaping it anytime soon, it seems. We'll move on to page 412. When a soul finally gets out of the three jars of bodily delusions, Master continued, it becomes one with the infinite without any loss of individuality. Jesus Christ had won this final freedom even before he was born as Jesus. In three stages of his past, symbolized in his earth life as the three days of his experience of death and resurrection, he had attained the power 
to fully arise in spirit. So this was a practice that Christ had already done. And the three days of his resurrection, which we celebrated during Easter, was symbolic of these three layers. Resurrecting first the causal body, resurrecting then in the astral body, resurrecting then in the physical body. Weaving once again and around individualized spirit, weaving layers of bodies. But this time, it's purely out of choice, purely at will. Dissolve it when you don't need it, create it when you want it unaffected, no longer relative, no longer bound by any compulsion, except to give bliss to others. That's the only reality that remains. And that's God, you know, if God's sending us the saints to give us bliss, that's what God wants for us. He wants us to experience bliss. It's very hard to feel that. It's very hard to even <laughs> convince ourselves that that's what he wants, because it seems often quite the opposite seems like he wants us to suffer and he seems like he wants us to work really hard and be miserable at times and be happy at times and but no he wants us to experience bliss but he's not just going to hand it to us we're going to have to earn that final privilege the un undeveloped man this is you and i must undergo countless earthly and astral and causal incarnations in order to emerge from his three bodies. A master who achieves his final liberation, final freedom, may elect to return to earth as a prophet to bring other human beings back to God, or like myself, he may choose to reside in the astral cosmos. There, a savior assumes some of the burden of the inhabitants' karma and thus helps them to terminate their cycle of reincarnation in the astral cosmos and go on permanently to the causal spheres. Or a freed soul may enter the causal world to aid its beings to shorten their span in the causal body and thus attain the absolute freedom. That's a fun thought. Mm. In every world, there is a guru. In every reality, even in the causal world, a guru is required. Somebody is required who has achieved final freedom to inspire the causal beings even. Because you can see how easy it would be to just enjoy the causal world, wouldn't it? I want this, thought, 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 thought. Everything's just happening. Universes, I mean, it's endless. There's just no end to it. You could do absolutely whatever you want. And that's, in fact, how we somehow want this world to be. I just want to do absolutely whatever I want. But even there, at the end, you see these people still are yearning for more. And that's the Guru's role. And in every world, what does he do? He comes to share the burden of our karma. And as he puts it here, to shorten the span of time that it takes us to get there. That's the Guru's role, to shorten the span of time that it takes us to get there. How does he shorten the span of time, other than just taking our karmas? Well, the only way for it to happen is if we are able to shift our entire allegiance from this world to the Guru then our time span gets to shorten. If we believe we'll still engage and enjoy and indulge as much as we want, and every now and then call on the Guru so that he can indulge even more, so that he can create just the right situation for me to even enjoy this world more, well, then no time span is shortened. You can have a Guru, he can be amazing, he can help you in anything that you want, but the time span of your <laughs> karmic burden will not shorten. It will only shorten if we can shift our entire allegiance. And that's why he's important, because he's a single point of reference. He's not important if he's Christ, it doesn't imp it's not important if it's Yoganandaji, it's not important if it's Babaji. What's important is it's A, someone who has destroyed the delusion of all three bodies, someone who's entirely free. So that's the first most important thing. And B, that it's somebody that you can tune into, focus on, and make the sole object of everything of that your life 
means to you guru and guru alone that's the example swami ji showed us guru and guru alone and that's the aspiration each of us are tuning into but no matter which world we are in we'll have to find the guru <laughs> we'll have to accept the guru didn't master say that his guru on earth was sri yukteswar his astral guru was lahiri mahashaya and his causal guru was babaji yeah so that's fascinating just to to contemplate and maybe for us that we are his disciples there might be perhaps a similarity but it's nice that we we know that whenever we reach <laughs> to that world we will have one of them welcoming us as master said it's a promise whenever we exit this world i myself you can understand i myself said i myself or any of the gurus will be waiting for you to receive you to welcome you to tell you the new laws <laughs> <laughs> that you we have to follow and learn and cooperate with and understand better to keep evolving but it's just coming back to the beginning of this song nothing to be afraid of nothing to fear anymore really once you have your guru and your sadguru uh, it is they they are with you all the way from the beginning until we achieve final freedom they don't take breaks they don't go anywhere they don't take holidays they don't have naps they don't, they are 24/7 hours with us just watching every step hopefully entering into causal bodies and then astral bodies and then you know so our desires keep being redirected and more refined and infusing in us more uplifting thoughts and the willingness to want to meditate and to want to serve and to sing and to live more in joy and this is what our kriya practice brings what any true meditation practice does it keeps reinforcing that state of joy to live in joy not in sorrow uh, and the more we learn to emanate that bliss that joyous spirit the more we will be automatically connected with the astral and causal world 